Hey guys, welcome back to a bite of D&D, the podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaigns. I am Zach, and across the internet is my co-host, Micah. How's it going, guys? And today, we're going to change it up just slightly. We're not going to talk about a favorite monster, class, race, what have you. We're going to talk about Adventures League, and specifically, we're going to talk about running games inside Adventures League. So t- let's let's go ahead and just give a rundown for why this topic comes to mind this week. Yeah, so last week we did not put out an episode because we were largely preparing and getting ready for Gen Con, which I believe for both of us was our first Gen Con, really our first convention D&D experience. I suppose to a lesser scale, I've done a convention before, but nothing to this kind of standard. And so this is our week back. This is the week after Gen Con, if you're coming in to this podcast episode a little bit late. And we just kind of want to go over what our experiences were with that, maybe some of our takeaways and maybe provide a little bit of insight for those of you who have not participated at one or who have been interested in Adventures League and how that dynamic is different than at your your table at home. Yeah, and if you are listening to this because you met us at Gen Con, we just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. And feel free to peruse the catalog and give a listen to some of those back issues. We're pretty proud of some of them less proud of how the they sound one. but some of the content isn't completely terrible there you go i like it so yeah let's talk a little bit about some surprises some some things that we took away from this experience that we think could be a benefit to people who are looking at adventures league maybe who haven't played in it before or maybe who have played in it but who are looking to maybe step into the dm role what does this experience feel like to you so first and foremost it was a ton of fun if you're having hesitations i would say dive in and do it my experience was largely positive players are very understanding everyone is there to have a good time and everyone's there because they enjoy doing it but and it's something i knew going into it but maybe not something i expected to the level it was but you need to, I would highly encourage running some practice sessions with the content that you're, that you're going to run and set yourself on the clock. Give yourself a timer and actually practice pushing through because you will have some pretty tight time con- time constraints for your table. And while it feels like going into it, it doesn't sound like it will be that big of a deal. When you guys get caught up in things, it can be very easy to lose track of where you're at. And the worst thing you can do is get to the point where you're either having to rush through or cut content because you didn't give yourself enough time in other spots to get through it. So sometimes that involves maybe cutting down on the hit points of enemies or uh, just getting better at preparing your players for when their turn is coming up. So while someone is kind of taking theirs, maybe point to whoever is next up in your initiative order and just kind of give them a heads up that, hey, make sure you know what you have planned to do so you can get through your turns a little bit faster and leave you more time for your RP elements and stuff outside of combat. Yeah, I would say time management is one of the biggest things that you need to take with you into the convention and into the DMing experience of Adventures League. As you're setting foot in there, most of the time, or a good chunk of the time, you're going to have another session immediately following the one that you've got 
and even if you don't, there's somebody who needs your table for something that they're going to be running. So if you have a four-hour adventure, these adventures are written for four hours of play. You really only have about three and a half hours with which to yeah. complete them. That four hours does not take into account your setup and teardown time. So you you have four hours, but that four hours is going to be partially dictated by how quick everyone is ready to go and how quick you can tear down at the end. You you have four hours at the table, not four hours to play. And right. that's going to be think- different by convention, but as a standard, that seems to be pretty standard as we're looking at to go to more two and four hours seems to be a pretty common slot. Yeah. And I think that you may think, well, you know, my games at home are always three and a half hours or whatever. I'm used to a time constraint in that way. And to some extent that's true. But one thing that you have to keep in mind is that when you're running these games, don't, you can't think of it as your own experience only. And you're not a combined experience anymore with you and your home group of players. You are running a group for a group of players, and then you're moving on to another group. But that group of players may be moving on to the next step in that story of these modules and what they're telling. And so you skipping something or saying, well, I didn't get to that, or I cut out this NPC because I didn't have time, or X, Y, or Z, may make their future experiences either confusing or frustrating or a variety of, of responses. So it's very important that not only is your pacing on point and you tell a good story, but you tell the right story yeah. that keeps everything going. Well, because that's the thing. Uh, when you do these, you are not running your story. You are running the story that someone crafted for this event. And in many cases, they are paying to be at the convention, but they are also paying to be at your table. So I guess what we're saying is, while in a normal environment, it everyone should everyone's fun should kind of be considered equally there. When you are running this, not that it's not fun, because again, I had a great experience. I had a great time. I met a lot of awesome people. I don't think I had a single negative table that I ran. But it is not nearly about as much of your your enjoyment and your experience out of it as it is for your players. Yeah, I think I probably lean into this even more than Micah does. I got the feeling right out the gate, and it kind of carried with me the whole way, that the convention D&D experience is one of players first. Because I think it comes down to when money's involved, especially when one-way money is involved, you're not paying to get to DM that table. If you were paying to DM that table, then we would have a different conversation about whose enjoyment is most important. But but you're sitting down at a table that has collectively paid 50 to $100 to play what they know as D&D. And what people know as D&D can vary to a great extent. Some people, it's a very tactical game. Some, game, some people almost never roll initiative. You know, it, it varies from, from, from home group to home group to online stream to however. And everybody's fun to, is different and you need to kind of get a feel for that very quickly and make sure that everyone gets a moment to get what it is they expect and what they want out of that game yeah and you don't have to completely toe the line word for word for what they have experienced at home i don't think that that's i think if you just did that you've done them a disservice 
I think that part of your job is to create an absolutely terrific time for those players, but also broaden their horizons of what the game can contain. So for those strategy players, you give them strategy in bulk, but you also slide in opportunities for character interactions that can be meaningful so that maybe when they go home, they say, that was fun. I want that now in my game. How do I get that? Or can we replicate that somehow? And now you've just broadened their play experience to uh, be more all-inclusive. Yep. What other things did we take away from Adventures League? Well, first of all, since this is our first one, before we continue, I just want to give a huge kudos, hats off, thank you to Baldman Games and the people running it, because that was a... Despite a few hiccups, people not showing up when they had promised to be there and some other things, everything was taken care of very well. And despite the fact that, again, I do think this is largely player-focused first, you're kind of sidelined a little bit. They did a great job taking care of us as DMs. Multiple times people went around asking if they could get us, you know, cough drops, water, whatever. So huge hats off to them. But as far as the my next takeaway from running games is definitely come prepared for the long haul. Now, not everyone is going to run 32 hours worth of content across the convention a piece like we did, but make sure you have your snacks, your meals and stuff planned out ahead of time. Cause even when you have an hour break, it's not really, in my opinion, an, an hour break. You're, you're prepping for your next session mentally. You're taking a few minutes to just decompress, but then you're shoveling your face with whatever snacks you've got. So you've got the energy to keep going physically as well as mentally. So just make sure you've got stuff that you can pack away and have ready because while they will do your their best to take care of you, they're not your moms and they can't make sure that you are eating two to three meals a day and drinking enough water. They can offer and see how you're doing, but make sure you have enough snacks squirreled away to keep your energy levels up. And then I mean, that's the big thing. Just just come prepared for, for being there for a long period of time. It doesn't sound as grueling as it is because you're like, oh, I'm playing D&D. This is great. And it is, but you'll want it. You'll need it. Don't forget it in your car like I did. Uh, <laughs> huge benefit if you're going to bring food. Uh, make sure you get it to the convention. But come prepared for the grind. There, There's certainly and a grind. I'll, and I'll, I'll jump on that with the prepared side of it. Keep in mind that, you know, at your home games, you might have gotten to the point as a DM where you don't really have to prepare much to get a lot out of a session. Part of that is because you know your players very well at this point, or at least the majority of them. And part of that is because you know your world so much. You know, you've played in the same place for three months, six months, a year, 20 years, however it is. Either way, you don't have to put forth a ton of energy to know what you're walking into. With this content... You need to be completely prepared, in my mind, as prepared as you possibly can be in knowing what your content is that you're going to be presenting. Because you don't want, in your home game, you can figure out the content on the run because you've got the context already down. Here, you need to have the content down because you've got to figure out the context in the middle of, of the session as you're learning new characters, new players, and how they expect things to go and just how the whole thing is expected to go. Well, and the more familiar you are with the content, the less time you're having to look at your materials. The less time you're looking at your materials, the easier it is to manage your time because you can spend more time 
actually interacting with the players, rolling dice. You're not having to reference your sheets all the time, and it, it just comes a lot more naturally. It also allows you to have a better idea for how the NPCs would interact. Now, this is only one sample of content created for a convention specifically that we have run, but a lot of the segments are very much left up to DM interpretation, and I'm sure that's intentional so people can put their own spin on it, people can get a different experience. Without diving into spoiler territory here, one of the sessions that we ran, I would say about a full third of it at least, depending on how much time your group spent on it, was pretty much purely RP. And the boxes of text that we got for that segment were a paragraph long with what skill check they needed to pass it. It did not flesh out who the NPCs were, what their personalities were, and if you did not prepare for that and come ready with a backstory and anything, any information to make that interesting, if you walked in with minimal time prepared thinking that you were going to be able to just wing it or improvise your way out of it, there's very little there to give you any inspiration or motivation. It's something you really did need to kind of pre-plan out what those dwarves' personalities were going to be before you ever got to the table. And from there, you can react to what your group does and how your group behaves and everything else, and you can, you can, you can do some improvising. You want to do the fine-tuning at the table, but you don't want to do the major overhauls when you're right. there. Like, make sure you know what you're going into, because if you were not prepared with the backstory for that and you said, all right, well, uh, it looks like they like crafts. So if you want to just give me a sleight of hand check, we can move along. It's not memorable. It's boring. And it, be, it, it turns it from a, an event to just a bunch of dice checks and a slog. Yeah, it'll either be a slog or it'll be the fastest section of the games. So you've either slugged your way through RP or you've gotten through the RP in like 10 minutes and you're on to another fight, which yeah. is, in my mind, not that that adventure, that specific one that you're referring to feels so good to have that that space in there of role play to separate the encounters. And if you're finishing up that in 10, 15 minutes, it's not done what it was intended to do in my book, which is which is give some breathing room so you're not, as a player, exhausted and feeling like you just run through one scenario after another. So the other thing that I would talk about is types of players, which I don't really want to go into like, oh, here's the 16 different types of players that you see at Gen Con. But I think that what you, what you said earlier outside the podcast has a good meaning, which is you said that there's a specific type of player that stands out heavily in an Adventures League-style play that you don't see as often elsewhere. Well, and maybe I've been lucky, but I feel like partially because in Adventures League content, you are much, very much bound by rules as written from the books. You see a lot more people kind of power gaming and finding their loopholes in order to make things work and you see a lot more people who are trying to win at D&D and for them I'm sure that is kind of what they are wanting to get out of it but I feel like it's something you see less in your own games where you have a little bit more flexibility in how you interpret the rules and house rulings that you have and I feel people are a little bit more flexible to play whatever suits their fancy and then work with you on how to make that work mechanically or make it feel better in the game and in 
And it's not that everyone did this, and it's not even that I mind that people did this because I, I understand you want to, you don't want your character to die, you want to perform well, you want to feel good at the tables, and a lot of these were certainly combat-heavy adventures. So you want to be strong mechanically, but I saw a lot more of that min-maxing and stuff than I typically do at my home table. I think it's specifically because you are far more bound to those rules as written than you may be at a home game. And I think that it's important as a DM that's stepping into this role to recognize that there's a reason that they're min-maxing, there's a reason that they're power gaming, or however you want to put it, and that reason is because that's the game that they want to play and that's the game they expect to run one where rules as written is important and that the rules are going to be abided by to a t almost and that's the framework that they're building their characters around they're building their rogue assassin around a very specific set of rules about what constitute a surprise round and they know exactly what the ruling should be for what a surprise round constitutes. So there's really not a whole lot of leeway in there for you to come around and say, well, my rules are, or my mindset is that a surprise round functions this way. It's important for you to recognize that this type of player has been manifested because the rules are very important within Adventures League, and you breaking the rules will be uh, exponentially more frustrating to an Adventures League player as it is to your home players. At least in my mind. So, uh, I mean, I guess that is, say, as far as the the rules is written, keep it in mind. Give yourself a refresher on things if you've kind of been flying by the seat of the pants and using your own house rulings. People are fine if you miss stuff every now and then. Even within the modules themselves and the, the rules for Adventurers League, they pretty much say stick as close as you can. But if you need a ruling in the moment kind of go with it. Uh, Most of the time when I wasn't sure on something, a weird situation came up or a weird combination of effects. I I pause. I'm like, hey guys, not entirely sure. This doesn't happen a whole lot. This is what I would say. I'm happy to look it up or get with a moderator if you would like and get an official ruling on it. And most of the time people go, no, I'm I'm okay with that. That makes sense. And, And they're very understandable when it comes to that sort of thing. I never felt shackled, I guess, by the rules. It's an important framework to keep in mind, but sometimes you just got to make a call at your table and move on. And if it's something that's important to them, you can have that discussion with them and and work that out with them at the table. It's also why moderating your time is important. So you have time to deal with these situations if they come up. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is the player first mentality. Uh, At least that's what comes to mind in my mind when we're talking about this again, is like they build that assassin rogue. If they build that, you know that special tanky paladin or however whatever they're building that that bugbear barbarian let them have that enjoyment of having that very skilled proficient character it is not your job as an adventurers league dm to show them all the fallacies of that class race build i mean you're not supposed to dumb it down for them and to make it a cakewalk but your job is not to show them how how their character can suck, <laughs> at least in my mind. Don't take away their fun. Increase their fun. Give them some technical challenges. Give them something, some role-play encounters that they have to work through as well. But again, understand that they're here to have fun, and they're not your friends until they leave the table as your friends. You have to prove to them that in some ways, in some ways, you have to prove to them 
that they made the right decision by paying $12 to come sit at your table. Yep. Don't make them that regret con- that they didn't sit at another table because you were unwilling to work with them and, and have a good time. Part of that, like an example of that could be if you know that the rogue is just decimating the boss and if you on the next round just say, well, all the enemies come out and attack the rogue, drop it in the first round. And you, that's your that's your way of showing him that he can't just walk over anything. Yes, that probably proves a point to him in that way, but he's not having fun at that point. And you didn't play it accurately at that point. You just were doing it to obviously teach a lesson. And sometimes I think that is a fine thing to do in a home game where there's a relationship between you and the person there. Well, and I think there's sometimes some places for it within these games, but that is a very specific situation, something you need to have a feel for your table to do because there were times in the games I ran that I definitely specifically targeted certain characters because of their actions, but they knew they knew when it happened that they're like, yeah, that makes sense. And you got to know where you can and can tow that line. But that's a whole rabbit hole. Uh, I'm not going to deep dive into that. The, there is one other main thing I wanted to touch on real quick before I think we kind of maybe wrap up into final thoughts on everything and our, our, our book giveaway that we're going to be doing. And I think that is, I was surprised at how much leeway and and really express permission they gave us in those adventures to modify things if we felt that we needed it at that table many of the adventures uh, said right at the beginning don't feel bad if you feel like something should change be edited as long as you maintain the spirit of the adventure do what feels right for your table and they give you quite a bit of flexibility now that's not to say you replace an entire encounter with something different but how NPCs interact. You had a, a great one. If people are interested, maybe we can post uh, something on that, the Facebook group about a certain Fomorian princess in your hmm. games that was handled in a completely different way than I would have expected that all of your your, your players seem to love. There, you've got a lot of flexibility in how you approach different situations in these adventures, and they really make it you feel welcome to do those changes so long as you're not modifying the spirit or the the primary content of that adventure. Yeah, and I think that that's an important thing to note. Part of that is that part of the reason that you want to have your own twist on it is because there are some players who are going to play the same adventure module more than once within a convention. Um, I had several of those at my table who the only time slots that they had available was was to run this one, and then the next Saturday, one of the slots that they had available was just to run it again. And, you know... For them, I I came in on the second run for them, and they told me up front, "We're going to take a back seat on this because we've already had it once." But by the towards the end of it, they're like, "This has felt completely different, and we've had different interactions with the NPCs, and the fights have gone differently, and all that." And so they got a lot of enjoyment out of having that that flexibility on my end to twist and shape things. And at the end, I think we started at the same point and we ended at the same point as far as this module is concerned. And I think that if they walked away and talked to another table that had ran the same exact module, the consensus would be that they had a very similar experience. But but by having that variety, you allow them to have an additional amount of enjoyment out of running it multiple times. So definitely put your own spin on it. It's what makes running things and playing at these conventions 
worthwhile is getting those different flavors, getting those different experiences, the different styles from other DMs, the different interactions with other players. That's what makes it interesting. It's why people keep coming back to these events. Because if it felt the same as playing at home, why pay the extra money to do it at a con? You do it for the experience, for that. It's a completely different feeling than what you get uh, elsewhere. I think that about wraps it up as far as I'm concerned. Do we want to go ahead and get into our book giveaway? Yeah. Before we do that, once again, real quick thanks to everyone who helped run the convention. If any of our fellow DMs are listening to this, it was a pleasure meeting those of you that we got to talk to. And if anyone is going to be at uh, Games Hole Con, that is the next one we are trying to get to. So hopefully we get to see a few more faces here in a couple months. So one of the things that we uh, picked up uh, at Gen Con is a, uh, another copy of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. And I know a lot of you probably picked it up already. It's a pretty popular book. It's a pretty great book. Uh, we've done a review on it. You can go and check out that little preview review and several other things if you want to in our past episodes. But we really enjoyed this book. And so we got another copy and we said, you know what, let's just give it away and hook somebody else up with an interesting book. I think you are better equipped to tell people the simple, easy way that they can register to snag this copy. Yeah, so I'm actually not going to tell everyone how to snag this copy here in the podcast because, quite frank, we haven't fully decided uh, what that's going to be. But we don't push it a whole lot. If you want that information you're going to have to look to our Facebook and Twitter pages. I will have a link to those at the bottom of this podcast in the description, but I'm sure we'll ask for maybe your favorite monster or something like that, and those of you who reply will be entered in for a drawing on that book. But keep an eye out on those pages. You don't have to follow us or any of that, but if you reply to our tweet uh, when that goes out, which should be right along with this episode, you will be entered in for that book. Yeah, and it'll last one week. Just to reiterate, the the drawings, the contest will last one week, and then we will find a winner. And the only other thing I would add is that we've done a few of these giveaways now, and one thing that I can tell you is that you will get more than just the book. We always look and scrounge around and find some of our leftover promotional items, we or we some, grab uh, some minis. We had some shirts at the con we were giving away. I'm sure we've still got some extra other goodies lying around so yeah so i think that's where we're going to wrap it up i think that we have a monster in store for you guys next week so if you're tired of listening to us talk about something that is not exactly going to fit into your D game um look forward to next week where we talk about some shadow elves it'll still be a little bit tied in with this maybe give you a hint of what to expect if you are adventuring in the Moonshay region, but we're going to discuss what some of our favorite creatures were that we got to run for the convention. Yep. That's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. We appreciate your listens as always, and we would encourage you to go check out our Facebook page. It's kind of Micah is has be, begun to breathe some new life into it. Check out our Twitter. Sometimes I remember that Twitter exists and it will be up for this episode at least. Yes, we are a podcast first everything else second so that's 100 percent true all right guys we'll talk to you later see ya